Amen. I like that. Lay down any pretense or pride or shame. That's good. Um, hey, I'm glad you're with us as we are diving in our third week in the letter of James, where he is writing as a guide for our faith. James is a really good guide, but he really believes this because it's true for him that our faith in Jesus should change everything. All right, that's where he's coming from. And today he is going to blow our mind with some things that he says about the subject of temptation. Now, Full disclosure, I am not Susie Bates. Um, that's what it says in your uh, text bulletin, is that Susie, our executive pastor of Family Ministries, is uh, going to preach. She was set to preach. She wrote this sermon, and uh, then she wound up not feeling well this weekend, and so she's doing what we're asking everybody to do, which is if you're not feeling well, just stay at home. And uh, we're not going to overreact, but you know, just skip a Sunday. You know, as, as it turns out, God doesn't keep attendance. Uh, it took me years to realize that, so just skip a Sunday if you're not feeling well. That's all we ask. Um, and uh, the good news is this for me. I'm going to just preach her sermon, and what she wrote is so much better than what I would have come up with. So everybody wins. Isn't that great? Uh, let me pray for us as we start here. God, we, we are looking around our world, and we are so painfully aware of the brokenness of this place. God, it's always there, but there's something about this year that we're seeing it on display, the suffering, the injustice, the frustration, the anger, the sickness. God, just, it's broken. And so we pray the way that you've taught us to pray, would your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven? I pray for this church and I pray for your church, your body, your bride. May we be a redemptive presence. May we be people on earth who do not fight for ourselves, but who fight for others. People of purpose, people of peace and of joy in the midst of brokenness. Reshape us to make us that. God, we of course lift up Susie to you and ask that you would heal her, protect her and her family. Thank you that we can trust you, Lord. Amen. So, a couple weeks ago, I asked you this question. Are you ready for your faith in Jesus to change everything? This is where James is coming from. Um, and I think right now, especially, it is so easy to look at our world and be like, well, yes, I am ready. Like, change it all, Lord. Jesus, take the wheel. It's like, just, it, please, change it. Here's what we need to understand, though, today. If I want my faith in Jesus to change everything around me, which most of us do, then I have to let my faith in Jesus change everything inside of me first. And that's something that is sometimes uncomfortable to admit, that the change this world needs is not just out there, but it is desperately in here. And it's uncomfortable to say that. But remember what we looked at last week, sometimes 
God will allow something into, into our life that is uncomfortable to us so that he can produce something that we need, which is this strong and this purposeful faith. And James is talking about two different things. He, last week he talked about the external stuff, the trials that we might experience that would be uncomfortable. This week he's going to talk about just that internal stuff. And he's going to label it as temptation. So there's trials that we want God to change everything about the world in that area. But there's also this temptation stuff. Those are substantially different things. We've got to recognize this up front. One of the ways they're different, trials have the potential to develop us. Temptations, on the other hand, have the potential to destroy us. They're dangerous in a way that trials are not. And there's something about temptation that it is always at its root. There's a piece of it that is self-deception. And because James is a good guy because he loves us, what he's going to try to do today is to just strip away some of the self-deception that we might live with so that we can understand what in fact is happening when we are tempted and when we sin. Because I think what's true of most of us, this is certainly true for me, is we have this tendency to stay external. Like we have a, a struggle or a pain point in our life, and we look at it and we want to like blame the world. Or we want to blame the people in our lives. If you people would treat me better, it wouldn't be like that. Or we want to blame God. Why did you make me this way? And we have this tendency to keep it all out there when it comes to temptation and sin. If those things were different, I wouldn't be struggling. James is going to really challenge that. He's going to really challenge that tendency. And it's, it's self-deception. And he's going to try to strip that away. And he's going to say, listen, that is not how temptation works. That is never how temptation works. We've got to deal with the stuff on the inside, and that's what he is going to take us to right away here in James uh, 1, verse 13. I'm reading out of our guidebook. Remember, we're reading through James in September, October, and November, all the way through each month. Uh, we have these in the gathering place, so you can get them online if you want. James writes this, verse 13 of chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So he said last week, sometimes God might allow a trial in your life, but he says, listen, understand he is never the source of a temptation in your life. Remember last week we talked about parenting and how as wise parents, you're going to sometimes allow your children to face hard things because we're focused on developing them into adults, and that is a part of the process. God loves us in that same way. But no parent would ever tempt their child with something that could destroy them just to teach them a lesson. Good parents don't do that. James says God is also like that. God does not tempt us with sin. He never has and he never will. He is a loving father and he would never do that to his children. Now, that seems obvious, right? God is loving. He would not tempt us with sin. But how often do we find ourselves struggling with something, something uh, that like we know in our heart of hearts that it's unhealthy for us, that it's destructive for us? And we find ourselves in that moment 
maybe shaking a fist at God saying, why did you allow this? Why did you allow this in my life? Why did you make me this way? Why don't you take this from me, this temptation, take it away? Why did you put that opportunity for sin in my life? James says that's not how sin works. That's not what's happening. It is not the external circumstance that is tempting us. He says what tempts us actually starts from the inside. Not from God, not from the outside, not from the people around us, but it starts inside of us. It starts with this trying to meet a desire inside of us in unhealthy ways. And that is what creates an opportunity to sin. What I want you to do this morning, this will help as we talk about this stuff and what James is teaching us. Uh, would you think of a temptation, like a real temptation towards sin that you struggle with? Okay? I'm not going to make you share it. Don't worry. Um, but just like in your head, and it, like this would be worth inviting the Holy Spirit. Say, uh, Holy Spirit, would you just reveal to me maybe a temptation that you would want me to think about as we walk through what James is teaching us here? Maybe it's a behavior that you just cannot seem to quit for the life of you. Maybe, maybe it's a hatred you have towards somebody or towards something. Maybe it's a, a tendency that you have that you just, you're constantly drawn towards something. Maybe it's an unhealthy thought pattern. Like, I just want you to get it in your head. Do you have it? Whatever that thing is, it's yours, right? That's what James is saying. It is yours. And it is okay to own it. We can't change things we don't have any ownership of. So whatever that struggle is, it is yours. It is no one else's. It is not God's. We have to own it. And then we have to apply what James is saying. You take that temptation that belongs to you and you peel back a layer. That's what he's teaching us to look inward on that temptation, to look a little bit deeper at that temptation. And he's saying beneath that temptation that constantly lures you is a desire connected to your soul that you'll see underneath that. There is a hunger there. There is a brokenness there that's inside of you. And when we try to fill that hunger uh, again and again, on our own, our sin in us seizes upon that desire and lures us to something, entices us to an unhealthy thing. James says that is what we need to understand about our temptations. That is how it works. They are connected to our broken desires. There is a hunger in us that only God can satisfy. And when we go out and we try to meet those in other ways, that's when we sin. Susie had this in her notes, and man, this is absolutely true and so wise. Take a screenshot of this. We don't fight our temptations by fighting harder against them. We fight our temptations by yielding to God. If you understand what temptation is, you'll understand why that is so important. James is telling us these temptations, they're not external things that you can fight, right? That's not what they are. They are tied to a deep longing that is inside of us, something that only God can make whole. And even if we could like perfectly control our environment and like never have the opportunity, like just it would never come across our path, that sin, we still would have that broken desire in us and it would still find a way to lead us again and again to something besides God. 
Temptation is an internal thing, and if we don't own that and start peeling back the layers to understand what is at the core of the temptations that we're wrestling with, we will remain powerless. And if we're powerless for long enough, we will eventually point the finger outwards and wind up blaming others and eventually even God. Have you ever met um, uh, like an addict who blames like everyone else for their addiction, right? Um, for their problems. We all have that in us. That mindset, that is in all of us. James is trying to save us from thinking like that. He says we're not just battling these external forces that put pressure on us and cause the sinful behavior. We are in a fight for the well-being of our soul. It's an inner fight, and there's no shame in that because every human is broken in this way. It's all of us. Christ is in that fight with us. This is what he came to do is to redeem that. We have to own it, and we have to see beyond the surface. He wants us to, to be free from blaming others. And so he says, it is in us. We are lured, and we are enticed by a broken desire. And then he says this, that desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So he's using kind of this very uh, childbirth sort of metaphor, kind of intimate way to describe this process, that our attempts to meet our own desires, it gives birth to sin, which gives, uh, when it's full-grown, death. And to understand what he means by death, he doesn't mean death like in the you're dead sense of the word. Uh, He's Jewish in his background, and so he's thinking the way that the Jewish people thought about death. They often saw death as a trajectory, not just a destination. So they wouldn't just say someone is dead, meaning their life is over, but they would say someone is dead, meaning that is the quality of their life. They are living death out. And he says, if we don't understand what's happening with temptation, if we don't peel back the layers and see what's underneath it, then that is what is going to be birthed in us. Maybe not at first, but eventually we will be living in death. And then he contrasts it. You know, that's heavy. That's hard. So he brings up a different subject. He brings up the goodness of God to show us actually the converse, to show us what God actually wants to do with us. Look at verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So temptation, it originates in us. And he says, listen, you've got to understand this too, that goodness, that originates totally in God. So when we look and we see something good in our life, that is evidence of God, the Father of lights. That is what he does as he produces and he imparts goodness to us. To me, this is, I mentioned a few weeks ago, the most powerful apologetic for God is the presence of goodness, genuine goodness in the world, like selfless love, that sort of stuff. I mean, like the evil in the world, some people look at that and they're like, I can't believe in a God because there's so much evil. I look at the evil and I'm like, well, that's what you'd expect. Like I would expect like every year to be like, 2020, like if we just left our own devices, like the evil is what I would expect, but the goodness, that is the anomaly, that God would impart anything good to us freely and just give it to us. That's what James is saying. Of his own will, he brought us forth. It was something he chose to do. 
The great preacher Charles Spurgeon describes it this way. He says, without any incentive or prompting, moved only by himself because he delights in mercy, because his name and his nature are love, because evermore like the sun, it is natural to him to distribute the beams of his eternal grace. That's just what he does. Like the sun gives light, God gives goodness. That's who our heavenly father is. Sometimes the letter of James gets a bad rap because he talks so much about good works and the stuff that we need to do. We have to understand the topic. He's wrestling with how our faith should change us. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't understand grace. This is what he's talking about in this passage. It is this picture of a generous God who in his very nature is imparting goodness to us. This God who longs to bring us out of our brokenness, to bring us forth we're not, so that we're not constantly victimized by our temptations, so that we can be made whole, so that we can begin to experience some victory. And it's fascinating, he uses the same phrase, bring forth, that he uses the, what the sin brings forth death after it's conceived. It's kind of this dual reference to childbirth. Um, I just want to observe this, okay? Like, he could have talked about temptation and sin. Like, this maybe would be what I would do. Like, in a way that was, is like, very kind of masculine, brute strength sort of language. We need to crush our sins and fight our temptation. That's not actually how he talks about it. Instead, he describes uh, kind of what's happening both with sin and temptation and also with God's goodness using kind of these very feminine metaphors to describe this process. He says that sin, it, it births death. And he says that God also, he births us forth into life and into goodness. And I just, I bring that up because I think there's a lesson in that. I think he wants us to realize that our natural tendency when it comes to temptation and sin, like to fight, to blame, to attack, I, I think there might be a lesson in that, that that doesn't actually serve us very well when it comes to fighting temptation. That what might actually serve us if we really want to fight temptation, is something far more patient, something far more tender, something far more slow. Remember Susie's line, you don't fight temptation by fighting harder, you fight it by yielding to God. Like if you understand that, then you're going to understand the next thing he says in a brand new way. You may have heard this verse before. Here's what he says, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And we talked about this a lot on the preaching team um, and Susie has such good insight about this. Uh, she said, you know, we always talk about this, like quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and like we pull it out and we apply it to conflict. If you're in a fight with someone, you should be quick to listen and slow to become angry. Or we pull it out and we apply it to anger. Or don't be so angry, be quick to hear. And it does apply to that stuff, but clearly in this context, he is talking about temptation that we struggle with, the goodness of God, and then he sums it up with this paragraph where he's talking about how to overcome wickedness. 
wickedness. The wickedness is the sin that was given birth to from the temptation in the original paragraph. So this verse is actually in the context of fighting temptation. I want you to think just for a second about that temptation that God brought to mind a few minutes ago. Would you just consider that maybe as your spiritual guide, what James would say to you today is not fight harder. Maybe that's not what he's saying. Instead, maybe what he would say to you about that struggle is slow down. Listen more. Listen more deeply. Stay silent so you can hear the truth about what actually is going on. That anger, that blame inside of you. I know you feel like there's something to it that's not going to bring about the righteousness of God. Maybe quiet that anger, that tendency to to get angry with a circumstance. Instead, slow that down and listen. And then you'll be able to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That's how you fight temptation. I've never understood that verse in this context. Slowness fights temptation. Um, let me illustrate it. I'm gonna, I'll tell you a vulnerable story if you can handle it for my life here. Um, it's not a story, it's just an issue. Uh, you know that tendency that we all have, like to go from zero to 60, like right away, like emotionally, just like that. Um, you know, and uh, it can be with sin or with uh, anger or whatever it is. My therapist calls that a trigger. Um, that's the word that he uses. And I, I think James here is using the word lure in the same way. It's like that just, it, oh, it's just grabbed me right away. Uh, like for me, I'll give you an example. I have a trigger in my life about being unfairly evaluated. I don't know if anyone else can relate to this. Like if a person in my life, especially someone I care about, communicates to me, you failed especially if I think that they never really gave me a chance to succeed. Like I instantly, I just, I feel anger. I go like zero to 60 emotionally. I will become disrespectful. I will become unloving in that moment. I will definitely use sarcasm in that moment. Um, and I will be unkind. And that's sin. It's a strong trigger in my life. And I realize not, not a totally uncommon one. Like it, just as humans, we acknowledge this. It is really painful to be misunderstood, right? To be evaluated by someone else in a, a wrong way. None of us like that. It's, it's triggering. And the truth is, all of us, you probably have different stuff. We all have triggers like that in our life. So triggers for pain, triggers for sin, triggers for shame. And they all work the same way. We experience something external to us. Like we didn't do it. It just happened. A circumstance. And it hits that trigger. And James is telling us, listen, that triggering process that lures us into sins, it's not in fact about that circumstance. We have to listen beyond that. Don't be so quick to react to that. It is about something deeper. That trigger is evidence of something inside of us that is broken, a desire, a hunger that Jesus needs to touch and heal and that only Jesus can touch and heal. And so when we have that experience of being triggered and we get dragged away into sin, I think humanly we have probably really only three options, right? Like we could recognize, or well, that, actually that's not the first option. The first option is probably the most common one. We just ignore it. 
Like what trigger? I don't have a trigger. The problem is everyone else. And you become like a walking minefield who is just constantly exploding because of the circumstance. For me, for my trigger, that would mean I would be the most delightful person you've ever met unless you have negative feedback for me. And then I'll just blow up, right? Second option. Uh, we can recognize, hey, I have a trigger related to this issue. And then we just try to avoid it. Try to organize our life so that nothing in our life ever brushes up against that trigger to sin. Start avoiding certain circumstances. For me, having a trigger related to being unfairly evaluated, I mean, that would mean I, could, I would never do this job. For sure, I tell you that. Um, as a pastor, I don't know if you know this, but one of the things you get a lot of is feedback. Um, and not all of it, not all of it is fair. Some of it is amazing and delightful. Some of it is helpful. And some of it is not always fair. So I would look for a job. Is there one that you know of where, like, you never get evaluated and it's just all positive all the time? That would be the job that would be perfect for someone with a trigger like I have. James has given us a third option here. What if, on all of our triggers to sin, those things that lure us, we peel back the layers and we look at what is in fact underneath. We let the word of God's truth reveal what's going on there so that he can bring us forth and birth something different and give us new life. You know, the thing about that option, though, is, gosh, it takes a lot of listening. It takes an uncomfortable amount of slowness. I have to be willing to set aside that anger at getting triggered because that anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And instead of focusing outward on all the other stuff, I have to focus inward and it's uncomfortable. There's a lot of tension. One of the great lines uh, Susie had in her notes, so wise, she said, your ability to grow towards wholeness and victory, it is directly related to your tolerance for tension and discomfort. That's good. That, that'll preach. That's why so many of us short-circuit this process and we're victims of our temptations instead of being empowered to go someplace else with them because it's uncomfortable to look inward like that. It's easier, it's far more comfortable for me to blame my circumstances, blame the people in my life, blame God. James says, do the uncomfortable thing. Go slow. Pay attention. Listen to what's under the surface. So I'm trying to do that with this trigger in particular. Um, someone evaluates me and that all, just every time, entices me to sin. Uh, slowness for me has been listening to wise mentors, uh, talking about it with our elders. It's meant for me therapy, talking to a therapist about it, trying to understand what that's about. As I peeled back some of the layers on that, I, I realized this is probably true. I don't know if this is totally it, but the desire under the, underneath that trigger is I just have this desire in my heart to prove my worth. And I, uh, with that comes this assumption that I should just be able to do it all really well all the time because that would make me worth far more, but that's obviously impossible. But there's that desire inside me for worth and value, and that's not even inherently a bad desire, but I am constantly lured by that desire to attach it to something other than God. And that's when the sin comes. 
I attach it to what I do, for instance. And then I'm triggered and sinful if someone evaluates what I've done. But as I understand that, then God does something different. He brings forth something new in me. And the word of truth says that my worth was declared by Jesus Christ on the cross. That even if I could succeed all the time, avoid all negative evaluation, I would not be worth any more than I am today. And God declares, because you're in Christ, you're my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. And that is settled. And when the word of truth touches that desperate hunger and desire in my soul, then I actually have power over the sin and over the temptation. That's how it works. But you have to understand it. You have to own it. And you have to allow God to bring his truth to bear on it. It is super uncomfortable. Um, it is maddeningly slow. Slow to anger is a big part of that. Listen, I'm going to assume this about you. I hope it won't offend you. I'm going to assume that you have triggers and lures in your life just like me. There are temptations and there are things that when they come across your path, you find them irresistible. James is being an amazing guide. He's saying don't avoid them, don't ignore them, don't angrily blame God and the world, don't fight hard and try to crush those temptations. Instead, go slow, listen, understand them. Don't just focus on the behavior, peel back the layers, see that broken desire that's at the core because that is the thing that the word of truth needs to touch for you to ever have any degree of victory over that temptation. He ends this section of scripture with uh, this great phrase. He says, we need to receive with meekness the implanted word. It's a great phrase. He uses a word, uh, Greek word here for receive. I'm going to tell it to you. You can maybe write it down. The word is dekomai. Dekomai is the idea of fully embracing. It is making what is given a part of oneself. It is taking in the truth of God's word into those places, those desires, those hungers, those broken parts of us so that we are changed. We're not saved by sin in temptation, in death, by working hard or fighting hard. We are saved by receiving. There's a humbleness to it. That's how God's goodness and his mercy comes into our life. We embrace it, decomai. I don't know what temptation you're thinking about today or what lure or sin you're wrestling with. Um, it may be something that you have wrestled with for years. It may be something that you will wrestle with for years. If you are willing to go slow, if you are willing to be quick to hear, I, I think there is an insight that God wants to give you even today about that temptation, about that desire in you. It may not come all at once. We have to be willing to do the uncomfortable work of peeling back the layers. We have to be willing to do that. But I think there is something there that he wants to say to you, something he wants you to hear, something he wants you to receive with meekness. I want to just pray that over us as I close here today. Would you pray with me?
So, Lord, we ask that you would, in fact, reveal us to ourselves. Lord, I know there's people listening. People here, we have wrestled with that same trigger, that same lure for years. Lord, would you give us the courage to slow down to peel back some of those layers and to really listen to you on that. It's uncomfortable for us, but would you give us the courage to do that? And in that listening, would you not just reveal what that broken desire is, but would you give us some sense of a next step? Lord, I know that there are probably people listening today who are living in death in the way James is talking about. They've been lured into sin and it is given birth to some death in their life and they're just living in it. And God, would you give them a vision of your goodness? We know you're full of grace and eager to bestow it on us. It is your nature. Would you give them a vision of the perfect gift that you want to bring forth in them? Reveal a first step away from death and towards life. Lord, I know there's people listening um, and we have blamed others for our struggles. We may have even blamed you for our struggles. Lord, forgive us. Would you give us the strength to own our own brokenness and our own sin? You are not to blame, and we receive that. It is ours. Would you have mercy on us in that so it's not so overwhelming, so that it doesn't crush us? Would you let us know that even in that ownership, you are with us, and you are redeeming us despite ourselves? Lord, I know there's a lot of us today who are starting to understand what's at the core of some of those temptations and struggles and triggers and sins. Would you bring your word of truth to bear on those broken places in us? God, we acknowledge we can't fight our way out of this. We just have to hear from you. We have to receive from you new life and wholeness. Would you give birth to that in us? Give us new birth as we understand those hungers in us that only you can meet. We give them to you. May we be people who go slow, who listen more, who fight sin by yielding. We trust that you'll meet us in that.